So all summer, Charter Oak Church is studying the book of 1 John. And when I say study, we are going deep. We are taking notes. We are looking at cross-references. Why is it important for us to know the Word of God? Because it's the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And, and for all of us, at least who are Christians, we had better know what God's Word says. And for any of you today who are not yet Christians, maybe on the fringe of our faith, I am so glad you are here today. God's Word is light in your darkness. If your life is filled with chaos and confusion, this is a guidebook to peace and love and hope and joy. And so should we know this? We absolutely should know God's Word. We want to know God's Word. We want to do what it says. But how can we know God's Word? How can we live the life that our Heavenly Father wants us to live if we don't know this? And so that's why this summer, yes, Charter Oak Church, we are studying God's Word in a very huge, a very profound way. Let's know God's Word. Let's do what it says. And here's what else. I don't know if you're on social media. A lot of us are, I'm sure. Every day, I see people distorting God's Word. Every single day. And so, again, if especially if you are maybe on the fringe of our faith, you're just exploring Jesus Christ, I've got to ask you a personal favor. Please do not let someone on social media filter God's word for you. Please don't let a late night talk show, please don't let a comedian, please don't let somebody on TikTok filter God's word for you because you have access to God's word unfiltered. Let's read it. Let's study it. Let's know what it says. If you're on the fringe of our faith, explore God's word for yourself. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe you don't believe, but you owe it to yourself to read God's word and to know what it says. This summer, I truly want to encourage you, especially if you're a Christian, to, to actually take a step and memorize God's Word. You don't have to. We're not going to quiz you on this. But what we invited you into two weeks ago is to just met, take all summer, three months, and memorize, if you would, the first chapter of 1 John. I'm doing that even though I'm a pastor. I have a theology degree. I don't have all of Scripture memorized. So I'm memorizing the first chapter. Last week, I looked at verse 1. This week, I, I memorized, I'm taking one week and just memorizing one verse. And verse 2 of chapter 1 of 1 John is very, very profound. John writes this, the life appeared. And I love that statement from John. The life appeared. Oh, see, Chris, I told you it's going to happen. The life appeared. We have seen it, John is talking, we have seen it, we testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life that was with the Father since the beginning and has now appeared to you. 
this summer, would you study God's word with me? If you do not have a physical, let's take notes. Let's write in our Bible. If you don't have a Bible that you feel comfortable writing in, we got Bibles. We got Bibles right here. This is for you. Please take this. Please take a golf pencil. We have Bibles here on our prayer station. Let's study God's word together. Now, here's where we are. We're, we're moving on to chapter 2 of 1 John. If you were with us the last two weeks, we studied the first chapter. Now we're into chapter 2. If you have been reading along with us, studying along with us, you'll see that John uses a lot of contrast. John, in his rhetorical style, uses a lot of contrast. So John has talked a lot about light versus darkness. John has talked a lot about truth versus lies. In fact, this is how... We ended up last week. Let me, let me read this to you. John wrote, If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's, the, here's a hard truth. This is verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out, God out to be a liar. And His word is not in us. That's how we ended up last week. So let's move right in to chapter 2. We're going to read right now, just line by line, verse by verse. We're going to read now the first two verses. John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I write this to you so that you won't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. We'll get into that in a minute. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And not only for ours. But also for the sins of the entire world. Now if you have your Bible in front of you. You may have caught one word. That kept repeating itself. Word after word in these two verses. That word is the word sin. And so anytime you're studying scripture on your own and there's a word that is repeated or a concept that is repeated, it is probably very important. And in these first two verses of chapter 2, this concept of sin just happens to be an important concept. So John is talking about sin here. Do you know how sin came into being like historically? Do you know how sin came into being? If you go back to the beginning, not just the beginning of the Bible, but the beginning of time in the book of Genesis, you'll see that God created everything. God created everything. And the crown jewel of His creation was what? The most beloved of His creation was what? You. Human beings were the most beloved of God's creation, always created to be God's children. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 2. That's the good news. The bad news is what happens in Genesis chapter 3. What happens? The fall of humankind. You'll read about in Genesis chapter 3 that the very first human beings that were beloved by God, that were always created to be God's children, rebelled against God. We told God by our actions that we didn't want to be His children. We didn't want to live in his household. We didn't want to live under God's rules. And so that 
is exactly how sin entered the world. Now, you have probably heard it said that sin equals death. Sin equals death, eternal death. That's, a, that's what we call a theological concept. But there's an even more practical way to look at sin. Sin equals separation. Sin equals separation. It always does in every case. Let me ask you this question. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God, do you know what Adam and Eve did? Immediately after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, do you know what they did? Remember, sin always causes separation. Genesis 3.8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the sound of God. What happened? Did it bring them pleasure? Did they love hearing the sound of God coming? Because they always did before this. The sound of God approaching is always or was always a source of great joy at least to Adam and Eve, but after they disobeyed God, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid. They hid from God among the trees of the garden. Sin always causes separation, and that's not just some theological truth. I suspect that you know that sin causes separation because you have felt it in your life. You've experienced it in your life. Has someone ever sinned against you? Have you ever sinned against somebody else? What happens? Separation. Sin causes hurt feelings. Sin causes broken relationships. The letter of 1 John has something to say about relationships. If you have been with us, do you remember what John has written about relationships? We have to go back to chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what John writes about relationships. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard about Jesus Christ, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Human beings were built for relationship. Human beings, if you didn't already know this, human beings were built for wonderful, beautiful, healthy, joy-filled relationship. Not only with each other, but especially with the God of the universe. We were built to need, to crave relationship. If you're an extrovert, you know this. If you're an introvert, you know this more than we extroverts do because you crave intimate relationships. We were built for healthy relationship. What does sin cause? Separation. Okay, so we know sin is bad, right? We know sin is sin has to be removed from our lives. We have to get sin out of our lives. Who takes sin away? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. John writes in verse 2 that Jesus died on the cross as an atoning 
sacrifice for our sins. Now, that's a big churchy theological word. I wish we could go deep into what our theology of atonement is because it is rich, it is beautiful. We would be here for hours and hours. But suffice it to say right now that a quick definition of atonement, atonement means that a price has been paid for our sins. A price has been paid for our sins. And a price has to be paid for sin because sin is no frivolous thing. We've already said that when we sin, we separate ourselves from God, right? You don't want that. You don't want to be separated from God. None of us wants that. We can't have that. That's why sin equals death. So sin has to be taken out of the equation. And back in the days of the Old Testament, 1,500 years, 1,500 years before Jesus, God gave human beings a method by which we could pay for our own sin. Now follow along with me. God gave human beings a method by which we could pay or atone for our own sin. It was called the sacrificial system. God did this for a very important reason. So the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, if you don't know, was that the Israelites, when they messed up, when they disobeyed God, when they separated themselves from God through sin, they had to pay a price. They had to give up. They had to pay something that was very, very valuable to them. And in their system of economy, the most valuable thing to them was their livestock. So when you as an Israelite messed up, you could pay some of your livestock to sacrifice to God to make up for your sin. Let's say you would pay a lamb. You would give a lamb in sacrifice to God. But what we figured out after 1,500 years, or what some Israelites figured out after 1,500 years, was that there weren't enough lambs on the planet to cover our sin. There wasn't enough blood on the planet to cover your sin and mine. That's God's point. That's why God established the sacrificial system to show us that we can't take care of our own sin. We can't atone for our own sin. That's the bad news. The good news is at just the right time, God sent His own Son, the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ, to atone for all of our sin for all of time. That's atonement. That's atonement. And so again, John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, if anybody does sin, if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is really comforting language for me. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. Is there anybody without sin out there today? Anyone perfect? That's good. That's good. Yeah, none of us are without sin. We all sin from time to time. Here's the big question, right? If we have an advocate, if we have an advocate in Jesus Christ who covers our sin, hey, Christians, have you ever asked yourself this question? Why can't I just sin? What's the harm? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one. Have you, Christian? if you're a Christian today, not all of us are, if you're a Christian today, have you ever 
Have you ever been on the verge of committing something that you knew was a sin and you just said to yourself, well, it's okay because I have an advocate in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, so it's really kind of sort of okay that I sin. If you have ever wondered that or thought that to yourself, I know I have. I've been a part of church families my whole life, and especially when I was younger, I would knowingly sin. I would knowingly sin knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, so it was okay. And Christians have been wondering this same thought for the last 2,000 years. That's why John writes about it. But it wasn't just John writing about it. So if you're taking notes in your Bible... This would be a really good place for what we call a cross-reference. If you're taking notes in your Bible, would you do me a favor and write Romans 6, 1 through 2, right in the margins on your Bible, because Paul's going to help back this up. Romans 6, 1 through 2. Is it okay to sin, knowing that our sins are forgiven? Paul writes this in Romans chapter 6. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? No. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Somebody needs to hear this today. When we become Christians, when we say to God, God, I want to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want to accept salvation. I know for a fact that my sins are forgiven and I want to become a Christian. I want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. When that happens, our life takes a new trajectory. When that happens, somebody needs to hear this today. Our life takes a new trajectory. We become a new person. New path new person and what one of the many things that happens is we sin less and christians we sin less and less we want to sin less and less christians we don't knowingly sin we don't want to knowingly sin that's discipleship that's discipleship and that's what John talks about next. In verses 3 through 6, this, this, is, this is a hard truth. Verses 3 through 6 say this, We know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone does obey his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever, Listen to this. Somebody needs to hear this. Whoever claims to be in him must live as Jesus did. There's some confusion today about what it 
takes to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? In fact, we have a bad witness in our world when we call ourselves Christians and we don't act like it. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's a bad witness. There's a lot of confusion about what it means to be a Christian. There should be no confusion because John outlines this in this beautiful letter that we call 1 John. This is it. Now there are two other references I want to point you to. Two other cross-references I want to point you to that you can write right here in the margin if you are taking notes. One backs this notion up and the other one digs deeper. The first reference is James 1.22. If you're taking notes in your Bible, you can write James 1.22 right there in the margin. What James writes is, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. I love this language. Listen to what James writes. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. One more time, when you enter into the path of discipleship with Jesus Christ, you become His. You become a child of God, a son or daughter of God, a prince or a princess of heaven. That's who you become. That's why I love the symbolism of baptism. When we fully immerse somebody, by the way, we're doing that in August. I wonder who's going to be baptized right here in August. When we fully immerse an adult, when you go under the water for about a second or two, Do you know what that symbolizes? It symbolizes death. It's to give us the sensation of death so we can join Jesus Christ in His death. But we only join Jesus Christ in His death for one second because when we come out of the baptismal water, what does that symbolize? We are a new creation. Hey, online folks, how are you doing? Craig, I'm so sorry. I'm sure I am super out of focus right now. It is a gorgeous day here in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. It's also a very, very windy day. And I was afraid one of our tents was going to become a kite. So we had to just solve that. Thank you for everyone who jumped in. Where was I? What were we talking about? Sin? Death? We were talking about baptism. Because baptism symbolizes death for one second. It represents new life. For eternity. (laughs) I wonder who's going to be baptized here in August. When we sin as Christians, James writes, we forget who we are. Because that's not who you are. When you sin as a Christian, that's not who you are. We don't knowingly sin as Christians. These are two disciples of Jesus Christ that are saying the same sentiment. I love this. When we sin, we forget who we are. We forget what we are supposed to do. Christians, what are we supposed to do? That's a big question. We could talk about that for hours, right? That's actually pretty simple. Jesus Christ said everything that we are supposed to be doing can be summed up in two commands. 
And the second reference, if you are still in 1 John chapter 2, the second reference you may write is Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Because it's here that Jesus says the two commands that are by far the most important are love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Christians, what are we supposed to be doing? Love God, love our neighbor. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If you ever wonder what it means to be a Christian, it's all here in 1 John. It's all here. If you ever forget what it is that I am as a Christian, it's all in 1 John. It is so beautiful. One more time, verses 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Must live as Jesus did. We're going to start to close up with this thought. We know all this, right? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that you are supposed to know God's word and do what it says. Don't you? That's not new information, is it? John's going to address this. In verse 7, John writes, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing. The true light is already shining. This notion of doing what God says, is it old or is it new? Loving God and loving our neighbor, is it a new command or is it an old command? The Israelites would have known 1,500 years before Jesus, the Israelites would have known to love their neighbor. This wasn't an old command. This was in the Mosaic Law. This is in Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbor. It's an old command. I don't think it's just an Israelite command. I'm not a, a, a deep history scholar, but I suspect that every religion, every little R religion that we ever come up with in human history has had something in its tenets about loving your neighbor. We human beings know that we are supposed to love our neighbor. It's not, old, it's not new information. It might be hard to do, but it's not new information. Or is it? Or is it? One last cross-reference for us. This morning, if we have to figure out whether loving God and loving our neighbor is new or old, would you write in the margin right there, 
John 13, 34. It's going to give us a direct answer to whether this is new or old information. John 13, 34. In the Gospel of John 13, 34, Jesus Christ says, A new command I give you. Love one another. That's not the end of the sentence. Jesus goes on to say, As I have loved you, as I have loved you, love one another. To love one another is not a new command. Every society on the planet that has ever existed has known that they should love their neighbors. That's not new. The new command is, as Jesus loved you, you love other people. That's the new command. That's the new command. Do we do that, Christians, today? Do you think we love people with the extravagant, sacrificial, perfect love of Jesus Christ? Because that's what we're asked to do. It is. I'll go out on a limb and say, I don't think human beings knew how to love <laughs> before 30 A.D. I don't think human beings knew how to love before Jesus Christ came on the scene. And now in 2022, I think we've forgotten how to love because this concept of love has been warped. It's been captured by human beings and I don't think we know how to love. I think that we need scripture to know how to love. I think we need Jesus Christ's example to know how to love people. That's why we have this unfiltered. That's why we got to know God's word and study it because we have got to know how to love and there's only one source of love and it is Jesus Christ. Let's end with this. Last three verses that we're going to look at today starting in verse 9. John writes, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. I'm guessing that you have gone through dark periods of your life. Maybe you're going through one right now. You probably know what it feels like to stumble around in the darkness, not having any direction, not knowing what your next step is. Maybe some of you are going through that right now, living in darkness. Do you know that we have a light it is Jesus Christ. And a man named John wrote about him 2,000 years ago. Thank God. Do you know how miraculous it is that this work survived throughout history? This, this is a big book. This is a very big book filled with 66 different historical manuscripts filling thousands of years. Do you know how miraculous it is that these have survived 
throughout those thousands of years. It's available to us to study. We can look at a man like John, read about his eyewitness account of Jesus Christ because he witnessed Jesus Christ. The life appeared to him, and now he proclaims it to us 2,000 years later. Friends, it's all about Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus Christ. And this book and studying this book will not only help you understand Jesus Christ better, but it will help to understand you better. Let's read it every day. Let's study it together because it's all about Jesus. He is our light. He is our life. He is our living hope. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful to be able to worship you outside in the complete freedom that we have in our nation. It is beyond my comprehension that right now we can proclaim the word of God outside with no fear of persecution. And so, Father God, what is stopping us from studying the word of God? What is stopping us? from spreading the word of God to our neighbors, what is stopping us from proclaiming eternal life to our neighbors? Nothing. Nothing is. And so, Father God, would you love us? Would you empower us? Would you embolden us to be strong where we are weak? To have peace when there is chaos in our lives and to always look towards you as our eternal Father. You are our joy. You are our hope. You give us a new identity. And Father God, it is truly you who are our living hope. Father, all of this we pray in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen.